0: last sunday we began a a short four week series on the topic of baptism and what it really means what is it what's it good for and how do you do it for some reason it seems like water baptism has lost some of its punch in many churches today there seems to be two schools of thought it's either not that important or it's very important and i want to share some information Today, from the book, we've entitled this series, Baptism by the Book. What does the book say about baptism? I think that's what we need to hold on to today, to see if it's important in the book. And if it is, so be it. If not, then so be it. Last week, it was very clear that baptism has to do with our sin issue. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that we're all sinners. This week, baptism also pertains to our salvation. I want to unpack this thought for you this morning. So, the two schools of thought about baptism important, not so much. This article appeared in the USA Today. It was entitled um, The Rite of Baptism is Declining. Here's a portion of the article there are now baptism style ceremonies, ceremonies where God is never mentioned. More and more parents are seeking to introduce their children. To a world of all faiths, says Emma Dillard of San Francisco, who runs a website entitled CeremonyWay.com. She recently conducted such an event for the daughter of Kristen and Farnham Greer. They said, we just wanted a larger spirit to guide our daughter. We just wanted... a. Uh, her to not be really tied down to one concept. We wanted to be sure all of her bases were covered. The article went on to say that they grew up Presbyterian, and now they were doing Christianity light, L-I-T-E. And then they went on to say that they were the kind of family that also believes in fairies, leprechauns, and magic beans. I don't think baptism means that much to him. When Texas minister Jim Dennison spent some time in Malaysia as an intern before he came into ministry, he spent some weeks there, and he worked hand-in-hand with a missionary who had been there for a long time. And He noticed that a young lady came to church one Sunday with a well-worn suitcase. And he asked his missionary friend, what's with the suitcase? And the missionary said that this young lady was told by her dad if she was ever baptized or if she ever became a Christian, she can never come home again. So she packed her bags today, and she comes to give her life to Jesus, but she will never be welcome home again. I think for that young lady in Malaysia baptism is pretty important so the question is what about you how important is it to you last year or or last week it was obvious that it has to do with our sin issue it takes care of that issue and we're all sinners we all need a savior so that's part of the process and today it's part of the salvation issue that's pretty clear here and i know this is a pretty sensitive issue I know that there are people who have all types of opinions when it comes to baptism. But today, let's see what the book has to say, and let's base our decision on the book. Sometimes the answer is so simple, you can't miss it. I like the story of the kindergarten class that was visiting their local police department, and the officer that was given the tour stopped in an area where they had pictures of people up on the wall. And he said, now these are bad people. These are the ten most wanted people in America. And we hope to catch them someday and put them where they belong. And one of the little girls raised her hands and she said, well, mister, why didn't you catch them when you took their picture? Sometimes it's so simple. So if you have your Bibles, just two verses to start with today, out of Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 15. In my Bible, these words are written in red. That means Jesus said them. So it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. I mean, it's pretty clear-cut, it's pretty straightforward. I want you to understand that there are two reasons why these verses are so important. For one, they are never contradicted in Scripture. In fact, there are other Scriptures that affirm this basic statement. Our marching orders from God go into all the world, preach and teach, and to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The second reason is these verses share the insights of some of our core beliefs of who we are and why we practice Christianity in the way that we do. So when it comes to baptism, the importance of it, let me share with you three things this morning, and then we will look forward to next Sunday. The first thing is this. Baptism is connected to our message, our purpose of who we are. The place to start to best understand this in Scripture is the setting, and we know here that Jesus has risen from the dead. He is preparing to ascend into heaven. There's a 40-day period when he is making himself known, his presence known to his friends and to people that he comes in contact with. And this is where we receive our what-to-do orders, our marching orders, if you will. Verse 15, he says that we are to go into all the world and we are to preach the good news to all creation. And then in verse 16, he explains the message. Jesus wants his followers to bring as many people as possible into the kingdom of God, and that starts like we saw last week at that moment of baptism. That's when we become part of his family. The same story is told in Matthew chapter 28, where he tells us there to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teach them to obey everything, that I have commanded you. You know, through the years since I've been here, we have had a lot of young men decide to go into full-time ministry, so we've had many ordination services here. And I have a plaque in my office that says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And then this verse is attached to it, to go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and on and on the story goes. And I want our young friends, when they leave here, to hang that in their office someday to remind them of the message and their purpose for existing as a minister of Jesus Christ. Once again, clear intent to reach as many people as we can, to baptize and to teach, not just teach them some things, but teach them to obey all the things that are commanded in the book. That's where we land. So the first simple and very important thing that we can learn from this passage is the message and that Christianity is about baptism. We shouldn't be ashamed from that. We shouldn't hide from that. We shouldn't ignore that. And there's a couple of warnings that I must must kind of talk us through at this point because we should not preach and teach only baptism. There is so much to the Christian walk besides that. And we should never get to the place where we ignore this because Jesus tells us himself if we believe, then we respond naturally with baptism it's not intended to be the only part of the message nor is it intended to be ignored the text tells us that there are two connections of baptism and the text tells us why it's so important so it starts with being connected to our message and then also it is connected to our belief to who we are and what we are a part of it's almost like a natural order of things When I say a natural flow, a natural order of things, there are some things that that, that just uh, come to mind. Spent some time with grandbabies a couple weeks ago, and here's the way it goes. Babies first learn to crawl, and then they learn to walk, and then they learn to run, and then they learn to drive us crazy. That's the natural order of things, the natural flow of things. There's also a natural order of things when it comes to seasons, even though this is January. Did you notice what temperature we're enjoying today? It's going to be in the 50s, and it's January. When I drove in this morning, there were some geese flying over. I don't know if they're just goofy geese or if spring has sprung. I think they're probably goofy geese because it's January. And usually we have Winter, then we have spring, then summer, then fall, then winter. There's a natural progression. And when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, there is a natural order of things. The Bible tells us, first we need to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the natural order of things helps us respond to that statement because Romans 3, we talked about this last week, tells us we're all sinners. Romans 6 tells us that the punishment for sin is death, And then the third thing that we need to remember about this process is the Bible says that Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection takes care of our sin issue if we connect to Him through baptism at that moment. I know that's a lot to kind of unload right here, but that's the process. We just had communion just a little bit ago. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, whenever the Christians came together on the first day of the week, they participated in the Lord's Supper. We are told that that reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And every Sunday, when we do that, we are basically saying, Father God, this week, your ways are going to be my ways. What you want me to do, I will do. Where you want me to go, I will do. that's basically what's being said during that communion time. Back in Bible times, they sealed the deal with the sharing of the drink. Marriages were kind of a. Um, done between parents and guys you would just go to your dad and say dad pick me out of looker man I don't want any of this other stuff and there was some arranging going on and once it was taken care of and once the chickens were swapped and the money was passed hands it was kind of a done deal and then they took the cup and he drank out of the cup and he was basically saying from this day forward I'm going to be yours you're going to be mine your people will be my people where you go." What you want me to do, I will do. If she did not drink from the cup, it was a no-deal, Lucille. You get it? It's over. I ain't doing that. So when we come every Sunday to communion time, it's a very personal thing. We pray that God would forgive us for our many sins, that he would keep us holy, and we are dedicating our life by taking Jews to be his people this coming week. And we are also asking him to walk with us as we try to do that as best we can. So there's a process, there is a natural flow of things. That moment that we talked about last week, that moment when you became part of the family of God, that moment after you believed and went through the process was at that time of baptism. And it was then that we begin to walk in newness of life. Answered this question last week, why don't we baptize babies here at First Christian Church? Very quickly, it's not in the book. Nowhere can you show me in this book that infants were baptized and brought into a salvation relationship with Jesus. It was always adults, believers, kids, who understood the difference between right and wrong, who can make that statement for themselves. It was then that they made that statement to walk in newness of life. So we don't do infant baptisms here because it's not in the book. Last week, a little bit about this whole immersion thing. Romans 6 tells us that we are connected to the death of Jesus. And that's why Romans 6 talks about a watery grave of baptism and being lowered down into the watery grave and brought up to walk in newness of life. If you go to your Webster's Dictionary, it's going to talk, things like immersion or sprinkling or pouring. If you go to the original text, the word for baptism is baptizo, and it means to dunk underwater, to immerse, to submerge underwater. So that's what we preach in teach. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, 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 hey. When I was little, I was christened, and that was baptism, and if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me, right? I mean, Aren't you? Let's say for a moment that you're right and I'm wrong because of the book. What have I lost? Nothing. I was still baptized in accordance with Webster's dictionary. No problem. What if I'm right? What if that word actually means immerse like it does in the Greek text? What if it means to bury someone underwater? What if I'm right? Then what have you lost? Everything. The word means to dunk underwater. In fact, the only place i found the word sprinkle in the Bible is in the Old Testament. Remember when the death angel was about ready to pass over God's people and they were commanded to take the hyssop, that plant, that weed, dip it in blood, and then sprinkle the blood on the top of the door mantle. That's the only place I have found where the word sprinkle connects with anything. The word baptized, baptizo, means to lower underwater. So I have had people ask me also, can I be a Christian if I'm not baptized? And if you go back to Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, it says there are two types of people. There are those who believe and who are baptized, and there are those who do not believe, which indicates that they are not baptized so it talks about two types of people just to consider someone being a christian and not being baptized creates another category so now you have people who believe but for whatever reason choose not to be baptized so the fact is even though there may be all kinds of people around us the category of people does not exist in the bible so I'm not sure I can answer that question in a positive way. So when it comes to baptism, we put a lot of our opinions in it because of convenience, because of tradition, and we, we have kind of lost the, the basis for this. If you were to leave here today and you were to drive out of here and on the highway and you saw a sign that said, Slow, what would that mean? I mean, you could be driving 120 miles an hour and you slow down to 95. Is that what it means? Or maybe you're driving 35 and you slow down to 5. Is that what it means? Usually they attach a number to that, don't they? Slow, 35. Slow, 210. I mean, they, they usually attach a number. And that tells you you had better watch what you're doing because there could be bad consequences. The whole baptism thing, it has nothing to do with our English transliteration. It has to do with what the original word meant in the text, and that meant to baptize by immersion. Many years we've been taking groups out to Montana for mission trips. When we first started going there, those of you who are with me, do you remember what their speed limit signs said? They said actually reasonable and prudent. What's that mean? That's what they said, reasonable and prudent. Holy smoke, and for a while we were reasonable and not very prudent. Off we went, you know. Those mountain roads, oh, you got to slow it down a tad bit. So then we practice being prudent, too. They don't say that now. Now they attach a number to it. You know why? There was a lot of confusion. And there were a lot of people who came from out of state and wasn't very reasonable or prudent. The Bible's pretty clear, and sometimes it's so simple we just make it so confusing. One final thing needs to be said about this old baptism today, and that's how it's connected to our salvation. If there's anything that should be clear for Christians, it is how to be saved and how to get into heaven and If that's not clearly understood, then we have some problems. I like the story about the old country church that needed a new roof, and the preacher got up one Sunday, and he said whoever gave the most money for the project would pick out three hymns for the service. And they did a real quick impromptu offering, and one of the old widows wrote down a check for $1,000, so he called her up front and he said that she could pick out three hymns of the service. And she said, Okay, I'll take him and I'll take him and I'll take him. He thought he was being dead on clear. They were talking different language. He thought he was talking songs. She thought he was talking hymns. Let me give you the process very quickly, okay? Mark 16 says, it all begins when we believe. doesn't say that's the only thing you have to do, but that's where it begins, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Acts 3.19 says, this decision requires repentance. That means if you are going in this direction and you don't want to go in this direction anymore, you repent and you turn and you go in another direction. That's what real repentance means. I don't want to talk this way anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I'm going this way. That's what real repentance means. Sin means to miss the mark. So if I'm shooting at this target and I end up out here, I have missed the mark. I have sinned. So I want to quit missing the mark. I want to repent and go in a different direction. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 says, Then we need to confess our Selves before others last week when we had our baptisms second service the question was asked at that time do you believe curtis do you believe that jesus is the christ the son of the living god and if he'd have said not so much well there's no baptism we're out of there Do you come today to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? If he would have said, well, can we negotiate this? How about Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and Saturday? I'm in. The other days are all mine. It's not the way it works. You commit to Jesus every day, all the days of your life. The Bible also says in Mark 16, Acts 2.38, repent and what? Be baptized. Revelation 2.10, 2.26 says, After we are baptized, we must continue to walk in a way that pleases Jesus our Lord. So that's the process. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, continue to walk in newness of life. All these steps are important, especially baptism. I know I have some friends from Kentucky here. And let me just say right now, I apologize However, I heard about a fellow from the hills of Kentucky who applied for a job as an accountant. He was given a test, and there was only one question on the test. What is 4 times 4? He thought about it, took his shoes off, he did some figuring and stuff. And he came up with 17, so he wrote that down, turned in his test, went home. When he got home, he got out his calculator, and he punched in 4 times 4. It said it was. 16 and he thought I really blew that. The next day he got a phone call from the company and they said you got the job and he said how did that happen? I got the answer wrong. And they said you were the closest to the right answer. I'm sorry. When it comes to salvation, your salvation Don't miss this. Close is not good enough. It's just not. Close is not good enough. Those of you may remember this picture, some of it. Sometimes it's in your Bible, the picture of Jesus at the door. You know what I'm talking about? And the Bible is usually attached to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, Behold, I stand to kick your door down. Is that what your Bible says? It says, "Behold, I stand and knock." If you notice on, there, on this picture here, there is no doorknob on this side of the door. Jesus is saying, "I'm not going to come kick my door or your door, and I'm not going to come force my st- knock. And if you want to let me in, I will come into your life and I will make you into a different person." Believe who I say I am. Repent of your sins, confess in your heart with your lips. Baptism is the key. That's how we connect, and then we walk in newness of life. I wonder, I wonder how many people here who have had Jesus knocking at the door for a long time. You see, the door represents our heart. And maybe he's been knocking for a long time. Maybe he's knocking today. All you got to do is let him in. And then let the good times roll.